Hello, everyone, and welcome to You Are Beautiful. And if you didn't hear it today already, let me say it to you right now. You are, wait for it, beautiful. That's right. My name is Lawrence Zarian, but since we are going to be instant fast friends, you can call me LZ. On this podcast, some of my uh, closest friends from television, film, movies, influencers, designers, they're going to be here with me, with us, talking about how they feel, what makes them feel beautiful, and when they look in the mirror, what do they see? It's going to be a fun ride. Trust us, trust me, and let's have some fun. Hey, and by the way, let me say it again. You are beautiful. And one more thing. You are beautiful is brought to you by the vibrant doc, Dr. Stacy J. Stevenson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to You Are Beautiful with Lauren Zarian. So here's the thing. I've been doing this podcast now for over a year and a half. And when it's time to record, I'm always ready, on time, set, ready to go. And Will, my producer, texted me and he said, what's taking so long? And I said, oh, I need to find the perfect thing to wear. And Nico, you have to see my room. Like, first of all, I'm a fan, number one. Number two, I think you're so brave and fearless, and we'll get to all of that. And number three, I just think you're hot. (laughs) I just think you're so sexy. And I haven't dressed for another man that I thought was really, really hot in a long time. So I went for a jumper. You're pretty hot too. I mean, there's no lies here. This is how we're going to start this podcast. Get everyone real excited. (laughs) I love that. And you know, the thing that I love about what this podcast is and the things that I've been getting response from is I've lived this great life. I created a career. I do fashion for a living on all these different TV shows. I do transformations. I've done so much focusing on everyone else. And the one thing that I've never done is really exposed and expressed who I am privately. That was such a big taboo. That was something that could have killed my career. That has been a constant demon and a constant struggle. Now you show up and I have done a deep dive and I've learned so much about you. And I will say the one thing that I'm going to say for you, the word that comes to mind is you just feel and appear as though you're fearless. Mm. Where did that fearlessness come from? Starting off with a banger here. Where did that fearlessness come from? I guess first and foremost, it came from the women that raised me. I come from a big Italian family in Chicago. Intense matriarch family unit. There were four women that basically raised me. I mean, there were father figures in and out, but the women were in charge. And it was instilled in all of us from a very young age that we had to put ourselves out in the world, almost to a fault. Like some of my cousins, like, you know, didn't want to be the center of attention at any wedding or any family event. Like we were all made to sing and dance in front of everybody and do the whole thing. But fearlessness, I can't say that I've ever really been afraid of much. I mean, as a kid, I definitely had some fears around the paranormal. I would see things and hear things from a pretty young age. And I was having a conversation about seeing someone in the upstairs of my house growing up with my mom, my aunt, and my grandma. And my aunt said to me, she was like, listen, if you you don't 
stop having these conversations. We're going to have to go see a doctor. How old were you at this time? Six, seven. And I immediately was like, oh, I'm not supposed to hear and see these things. Like, I'm just going to like cut the cord and this isn't going to be part of my life. and I'm not going to talk about it anymore. It took a lot of years for me to reactivate those sensory experiences. And I'm totally good with them now at this point in my life. But like fear of the world itself and fear of putting myself out there... I mean, I never really knew any other way. It was just always something that I was really comfortable with. So was your well-being, who you are, the way you expressed yourself, surviving the paranormal, were those things celebrated and embraced or were they squashed? To a certain extent, definitely celebrated. I mean, when we start talking about any sort of queer identity as a kid it was just it was just not something that anyone in my family knew language was really limited so i just like pocketed parts of myself in order to just survive familial dynamics but you know as i took this adventure public uh, i mean it started like 2017 is when i had a podcast and i started i started really having these larger conversations like it only took a matter of time for my mom and other people in my family like get on board and understand what you know what it was I'm talking about. It's interesting now though with the political divide that we see in this country and you know what's going on with certain activists in the space like conversations are different today than they were a few years ago and people say shit and like I don't know I mean just language is it's complicated, you know? Years and years ago, again, I'm older than you are, and I just didn't know how to do it differently. And I was always afraid. I was always in fear of, I pretended to have girlfriends. I did have girlfriends. I dated girls. And then I'll tell you about that experience, a three-way that changed, a three-way that changed my life. I get it. I get it. A three-way that changed my life. And I just was always afraid, which goes deeper, to be me. And years ago, my best friend Lenora said to me, hey, you know what? I'd like you to speak at the synagogue. They have this National Pride Day. It's called Kola Me. I'd love you to speak there. And it was National Coming Out Day. And I was like, I don't think I can do this. Mm. I just don't think I could do this. I had a huge anxiety attack. And then I thought, excuse my language, fuck it. If I don't do this now, I'm never going to. And I stood up in front of this congregation, about a thousand people, and I started to cry. And I said, I've never said these words in my life. And I said, my name is Lawrence Zarian and I'm gay. And it was so powerful and poignant to me. And it was such a rebirth because yes, there is such a political divide and I love the term and I want to go through some of the terms. So even at this age, I'm learning how to identify. I love the term gender fluid. There's something about that, but I find it so fascinating, Nico, that so many people that don't even know me care what's going on in my bedroom. I find that such a disconnect and like, why do you care what's happening in my life and why don't you just focus on yours? I think it's, it goes so much farther than the bedroom. It's people are just afraid of the unknown, you know? And I think pre-internet, really, these conversations and these identities were confined to spaces, right? We didn't have access to each other in the same way. And look, I'm the last generation that will know what life was like before the internet. But how exciting for you. You know what? I used to go on dates and there was no phone. Yeah. Like I would actually be in my, like if I was at the park, I was at the park. If I, if I was with a friend, 
I was with a friend. I love the access of calling you as a daddy. Now you get to call your wife, you get to your partner, you get to, you get to orchestrate all of that, but to be in your life and be Mm. in it, we're very blessed that we know what that feels like. Oh, for sure. My younger cousins and nieces and nephews that I have, like just have no, no understanding of what life was like before. And you know, I think this time specifically will be studied for hundreds and thousands of years in the future. And I don't think we can even really grasp like what, how it is all affected us and our ability to retain information, the access that we have to the world. Like, I don't know if we're evolved enough yet to really take in as much information as we all do every single day. I feel like Sometimes I'm an old man already looking at tech. Mm. Like I, I'm just like relatively inept. And I I stayed up to date for a really long time. And then I kind of just threw in the towel. And I was like, look, it's 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 gonna continue to evolve. I mean, it, the exponential rate at which technology is, is advancing at this point, like it blows my mind. When we start talking about AI, I mean I could have a dozen podcast conversations about AI, but we have no idea really what the future looks like. How lovely, you know, there's, I love, I'll I'll age myself. I love on Facebook. I also love, I also love on the Instagram that people say, if you remember this photo, you're a certain age. Mm. And I do remember those photos. We used to leave our house and not shut the door. We used to ride in our bikes. We used to go out and play with the kids. Sun was coming down and we weren't home. Like we would drink water from the water hose. Like there was this freedom about just being ourselves. Yeah. And that is sort of where this podcast came from. It was right after the pandemic. And I thought, like, I'm different. I'm not the same person anymore. Mm. The world has shut down. Now, who we choose to become afterwards is our choice. I look at it as a restart, refresh, renew. And when I look in the mirror, I see someone different. So with everything you've gone through Mm. to where you are right now, when you look in the mirror right now at this point in your life, what do you see? Dad first. Ah. I mean, it's true. I I am a parent and I was made to do this. I've never been more comfortable in any role I've ever played in my life. You know, people say like, you don't really know until you have a kid what it's like. And it's mind blowing. I mean, I, you know, backtrack a little bit pandemic, we started trying to have a baby, right? And we were pretty convinced that like, as soon as we hit the go button, it was going to happen. And that's not how it worked for us. It took a couple years for us to get pregnant, you know, pandemic, revolution, pregnancy, then having the baby, we had a home birth at home in our house in New Jersey. I am completely transformed. I am a different person entirely than I was a few years ago. I mean, even six months ago, she's six months on Sunday. And the best name ever for a child. Kilmer Dove Myers Tortorella. How did you break down the names? Kilmer is Bethany's grandpa's last name. It's Bethany's mom's maiden name. We've always known that we wanted to use both of our mom's maiden names as first names. So we've had those kind of locked in for a long time. Dove, Tortorella means turtle dove in Italian. And we just have deep, energetic, spiritual connections to the doves. It seems like everywhere we go, there's a couple doves that are following us around. I mean, any part of the world, any state that we go to, there's wherever we're staying, there's a couple doves. And there was this dove, when we got pregnant, there was this dove that showed up in our backyard that was scalped. It must have like flown through a window or got into a fight, but like 
the entire head was exposed. And she showed up pretty much every day uh, up until the last month she was gone. We had no idea where, and it like crushed both of us. Her name is Olive. That's what we call her. Mm. And then the day that Kilmer was born that morning, she showed up and she sat on the balcony and did not leave all day long. She was like looking through the window all night while Kilmer was born. I mean, labor was like 11 hours and uh, she's at the house all the time now. I love signs like that. Yeah. I love that. That's fantastic. The, the history leading up to it. Yeah. They're everywhere. I think when we get quiet and still, we see the signs, but I think we're also afraid. I can be just as guilty. We're running. Mm. Let me ask you this then, before we get to you meeting Bethany. Let me just say this. I am fascinated by your journey in the sense of you're living a life that I was too afraid to live. Mm. And you were such a ray of sunshine in the fact that A, it's in print, B, you're public, mm. and C, you don't apologize for it. I remember as a kid growing up, you know, my parents, I say this all the time, my parents did the best they could with what they were taught. There wasn't internet, there wasn't Oprah, there wasn't somebody else telling their story. If we got in trouble, we didn't talk. We never betrayed what happened in our home. As a kid, I remember my dad was watching something on TV and it was like sports and it was like a bodybuilding competition. And I remember as a kid walking through and I went, what? (laughs) Like, that's new. That's interesting. And I was fascinated by it. And then I had girlfriends growing up. And then I thought that was the right thing to do. Very turned on by women. Yeah. But I always found myself something about the strength of a man, something about the connection sort of resonated deeply into my core. It was a constant journey. As a kid growing up, what were your first feelings that tingled something deep inside of you? Mm. I mean, they really covered the spectrum. I mean, Lindsay Lohan in The Parent Trap, really, I mean, I was like her age. She was pinnacle for a very long time. I mean, I was obsessed with Beyonce as a kid, you know, but then there was the queer representation, like Real World Chicago was the first time I ever saw two men hold hands on television. When you saw that, did that feel foreign or was there a part of you was like, I can relate to that? Yeah, for sure. I never really understood why anything same sex was taboo. I remember like a young kid, I found out that there were gay people. And I said, Mom, I don't understand like why anyone would be gay. You you can't have kids. Like my entire understanding of any sort of romantic relationship was about having kids. <laughs> I knew I was going to be a parent from a very young age, right? Yeah. And sh- her response was something along the lines of like, no, what are you talking about? It's not about having kids. Like two men holding hands is gross. Like, and I was like, what, what? Like, no, I don't understand that at all. So I always knew it was like, it was part of who I was, but there was also something about it being taboo that was attractive. Like I'm always going to the edge. I'm always seeking shit out that like is not accepted, you know? And there was something about queerness uh, from a very young age that just was curious to me. So when you qualify, you are gender fluid. You like to be he, him. So I want to break down some of these because I know a lot of people that have been on this journey with me also want to be educated. And look, as a gay man, I'm still learning how to do it. Like I still find myself, I'm like, guys, could you just grade on the curve? I'm like, her, no, she. Like, okay, hold on. I'm still learning it to me. We have to be teachable. Yeah. So gender fluid, 
is? Is more complicated today than it was a few years ago when I was having these conversations. You know, I am way less attached, and this may get in the way of the teachable moment we're trying to have right now. I am way less attached to any sort of identifier or label than I was a few years ago. You know, let me just like break this down for a second. So 2018 to 2020, Bethany and I both are like on the front lines having these conversations publicly, actively seeking alternative identities, exploring these conversations in very public ways. 2020 hits, world shuts down. We start trying to have a baby, right? On paper, man, woman, trying to get pregnant. It's not working, okay? So then we have to go seek medical intervention. And we are forced to look at our biological sexes in intense fucking ways, like intense, Mm -hmm. every which way you can imagine, right? And we were forced to identify with how we were born in ways that we had never been before. Wow. So that changed at least the conversation that was happening at home. And I haven't really talked about any of this publicly, so you're getting it here first, y'all. Here's what I love about you thus far. There's this authenticity and this rawness, like, this is it. I'm putting it out on the table. Yeah, this is it. One of my favorite slogans, sayings in life is, what you think about me is none of my business. And it's not fixed. Like, what I'm saying today, I may be having an entirely different conversation in a few months. Like, something can go on with my kids, something could happen in the world, and like, it alters my train of thought, right? I'm totally open to transition, for lack of a better word. If we are not evolving, we're not living. So we are trying to get pregnant. We're at the doctor. We're looking at our bodies. Then we get pregnant, okay? And I'm watching the most magical thing in the entire world. I'm watching my wife over the course of nine months, carry a child in her body. And even more so, it's like advancing my understanding of bodies, of gender, of identity, and the conversations that we have around all of it. Then cut to March 5th, 2023, we go into labor at our house. We have this tent built in the living room. And I witness over the course of 12 hours, the birth of my daughter. Now, there are so many words and none at all that I can use to explain what I witnessed and what I actively participated in. We both very much so birthed on that day, obviously Bethany more than I, but there was a personal birthing as well. Mm. And to go back and listen to versions of conversations that I was having before I experienced all of these things, they seem in a lot of ways limiting. Like the idea of trying to remove yourself from the box that we put around gender and identity in one way or another builds another box around it, right? Like, and I, in a lot of ways, and this is a complicated thing to, to say, and people may have some issues with it, but like in a lot of ways where we are living in this house right now is post-gender. It's post-sexuality. It's post-identity. Like there is a freedom that didn't exist a few years ago while we were like actively seeking freedom in these conversations. You know, when we talk about the pronoun conversation and look like I was, you know, all into this pronoun conversation. And I found over the years that like it, in a lot of ways, like it becomes this blockage in conversation that doesn't allow us to get to what's actually important like to what we're actually talking about it. It just became this like surface level thing for us. For me specifically, especially around work, 
Like it just became this thing that like a stutter almost, you know? And I don't know, man, like I have such a better understanding of who I am and the world around me after experiencing everything that we've gone through post COVID that maybe there's not language for it. You know? Okay. First of all, if we were together, I'd give you the biggest hug. <laughs> I would give you the biggest hug and I'd be like, can I just catch my breath now? Mm-hmm. Here's what I love about this dialogue because I, for the longest time with people and identity, first of all, I celebrate, be who you are. Yeah. And I think that everybody's yelling, I'm an identical twin. And my entire life has been, hey, pick me, pick me, mm. like me more than Gregory. Think I'm better. Like, it's just the way mm. that we were brought up, this competition thing. Mm. We've evolved through all of that. And he is my go-to. He's my right arm. We are so good. But there was this constant screaming to be heard, to be seen, to be celebrated. Like, I love all of this. But when all of this was coming up, polyamorous, binary, gender fluid, I'm like, why can't people just be? Yeah. Like, I can understand some of it. The demisexual, I get. Yeah. Because my heart totally directly gets wired downstairs. Yeah. If there's an emotional connection and we're talking on the phone and I feel it, I am ready. I agree. I've never been a fan of sex for sport. Mm-hmm. I mean, everybody can have their journey in that. Right. But I'm heart to heart. But what you said is I so relate with none of it matters. And when you meet the right person at the right time and you're singing the same song, you're saying the same dialogue, there's a vibration that's just for the two of you to share. For sure. And just my relationship to sex through trying to make a baby, right? Like my relationship to the act of sex itself has entirely shifted. I mean, there's a different purpose with the act and it becomes a chore, especially when it's not working. Like it is this fucking spiral. And yeah, I mean, it's just one more thing to add to the list of like why I'm a different person today than I was a few years ago. Were you ever in a relationship with a man? Oh yeah, plenty. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. Damn it. I still am in a lot of ways. Oh, please say that. Because as I said to the teams, I'm like, I am officially asking Nico out and I'm officially (laughs) wanting to be a part of the thruple. Look, you guys can call me me daddy. I'm sober. I'm kind. I'm gentle. I love babies. I'm here for it. (laughs) Best ever kisser ever. Hands down. Full stop. You're welcome. Good on you. Yeah. Good on me. (laughs) Okay. So then here's my question. So you dated men, relationship with men, relationship with women, and then you met Bethany a fitness guru 17 years ago. How did you two meet? And what was that moment like for you? I mean, I was a kid. I was just turned 18. It was two days after I moved out of my mom's house. I moved to an apartment in Chicago in the South Loop. We went to the same school, Bethany and I. We wound up at a party together. Uh, Bethany's a couple years older than I was. So I was a freshman. She was a junior. And we were playing beer pong as you do in college. And we just like immediately connected. Bethany had a pretty serious boyfriend at the time. Like one of the first things she said to me was like, I could never imagine myself with anybody else, which I was like, okay, cool. Um, Game on, babe, game on. (laughs) And I kicked her ass in beer pong. And we had this like really intense love affair that wasn't physical for like, three weeks, I would say she was really attached to this boyfriend and things happen. And the boyfriend was out of the picture and she comes like pounding on my door at three o'clock in the morning one night. And that was the beginning of our physical relationship. And we like dated, you know, 
pretty typically for a couple months. And both of us were kind of like, what are we doing? Like, this isn't working. And we stopped dating. We like stopped talking for a little bit. And then we wound up both being cast for this photo shoot of a party that our friend was throwing. And like the picture was like the two of us kissing. And, you know, I mean, it was like a movie moment. We were like getting as close as we possibly could. And then we kissed. And then we just started sleeping together. Like we became really good friends who were sleeping together for, I don't know, six months. And we wound up going to Mexico together, just the two of us. Bethany lied to her mom about who was going on this trip. My mom wound up like paying for our plane ticket. She was totally for it. <laughs> she, she didn't mind at all. And we we like fell madly in love with each other. I wound up leaving school in Chicago. I moved out to LA. We weren't in like a monogamous typical relationship, you know. We we're best friends. We've always been best friends first, always for 17 years. Bethany wound up moving to LA a couple years later. We moved in together. And this is all as I'm like trying to become an actor. I mean, I was an actor, but I was like, you know, trying to make it. I get cast in a CW show called The Beautiful Life and moved to New York. All this time, we're not in a monogamous relationship. Like we weren't sleeping with other people necessarily, but we were best friends who were living together. You know, I moved to New York. I start dating my co-star on the beautiful life and Bethany moves out of our apartment. And there were like two years that we didn't really see each other. Like we, we talked to each other every once in a while. It was probably the most distant that we've been. Was she always in the back of your mind? Did you always have thoughts of her? Yeah, totally. I mean, you know, she was like in so many ways, my first great love. And we wound up, she was going through some pretty intense shit with a dude. I got my heart broken while I was also like actively breaking this person's heart. It was, you know, one of those situations. And we found our way back to each other. She, she was living in Dallas at the time. I was living in LA. I, at some point, started dating dudes too. This conversation goes on for years and years and years. But she started dating women at one point and we like both grew up together in tandem in terms of our queer identities, like mirrors of each other constantly. And Bethany had very intense relationships with women. I was in very intense relationships with men, but like no matter what, we were always each other's emergency contact. And it was a hard thing for anyone we were dating to like understand what that meant. Like in a lot of ways, we wanted the person that we were dating in relationships with to be our main priority. But like any given day, Bethany was number one. I was number one. The other person was number two. And like it fucked up a lot of our relationships. Like, look, I get it. And ultimately, I mean, we weren't even living together at the time that we got married. I don't even think we were really sleeping together. I mean, there were like years where we weren't sleeping together. And we decided it would be easier. I mean, this is one of the reasons we got married. It would be easier to date other people if they knew that we were each other's number one, right? Okay. So let's say you and I are dating. Yeah. And you're my... Okay, I'm just going to say that. Let's say that you and I are dating, right? I would then have to be cognizant of the fact that I will always be your number two. I mean, that's just the way it is in that sort of context. Well, especially now that we have a baby. We definitely have not dated anyone new since since really the pandemic. There's a few people in my life that have like always been part of my life that I still see. But 
there's really like our space for anything secondary or tertiary at this point. I mean, it's beyond number two. Like our kid is number one, no matter what. Like we are each other's number one. So it's like, there's like a list at this point. We are actively trying to have more kids. Like we want a big family. I don't really know what the future looks like in terms of being able to date other people, both like in terms of timing and availability, but also like emotional capacity. We've gotten so much closer through this entire experience. I mean, how could you not? First of all, I really appreciate you being open and honest. And for me to have this conversation feels so freeing and liberating because in many ways you're, you're saying my story mm. in so many different ways. So, you know, to me, when one person speaks and the other one relates, it makes me feel as if I'm not that alone. So really, thank you for yeah, that. Of course. The thing that I love that you guys did is you guys stuck together. And there's this history that you two have. And you guys went on record by saying there was one Thanksgiving where you guys were uninvited because of your relationship. Yeah. How did that feel for you? Because your family just basically said, we don't accept you. I mean, there are so many layers to how it felt at the time, how we feel about it now. I mean, looking back, like, you know, there's always been a candidness to to the ways in which Bethany and I both speak publicly. And, you know, we were young and we said some fucking crazy shit, like, and we still do. And when I try to put myself in the position of any one of our family members on each side, like, it's jarring. It is visually and emotionally assaulting. I get it, right? Like, I get it. This idea of, like, being uninvited, right? I think it was supposed to happen. We wound up being invited. We worked our way through it. Like, it was as much as we were testing the press, each other, how far we could take it, right? Like, karmically, that came back to us. Like, our family wound up testing us. Like, it became this give and take. And it has brought all of us closer to each other over the years. Now, I do want to say, like, I understand how privileged and blessed I am to even be able to say that, right? Like, our families have shown up for us, even when they've challenged us, our families have shown up for us unconditionally, right? Like, it's been work, but end of the line, it's no matter what support, for sure. Takes a little bit to get there sometimes. I'm so envious of that because my father really struggled. Not only there's three boys, but you have identical twin sons and they're both gay. And my dad was very transparent. He was very honest. Thank God I have Gregory because I was never alone. Like I, yeah. When they have the national coming out day, I realized years ago, I never had that because I always had Gregory. So I always felt like I was seen and heard. Mm. And my father struggled and struggled and struggled. And through conversation and dialogue and journey, before my father died, he said, I hope you meet an amazing man. Mm. So that is evolution. That is that is God's grace. Having said that, I have some family members that will not, cannot, they say one thing and their actions say another. Like I've never, ever, and I don't say this publicly, but you know, it's my story. I've never babysat my nephews, ever. I've never been alone with my nephews, ever. And you can say one thing, but your actions are saying everything I need to know. And to me, people show you who they are. And if that's something that you can't relate to, accept, embrace, don't tell me one thing and do another. If you don't trust me with your children, then you just don't trust me. Yeah. And then you have to step back and realize that's their stuff. Yeah. 
And so to hear that your family was in it and committed and worked through it, that is grace. And I'm so happy for you and especially for your daughter who will be brought up in this sense of journey, struggle, love, journey, struggle, love, and know at the end of the day, you guys are going to all be together. For sure. I think a lot about what it means to allow her this level of freedom at such a young age and what will be capable because of it. I want to go back to something you said about people show us who they are. I agree. And I think most people, the majority of people don't really know who they are. The majority of people are living a version of themselves that they are quote unquote supposed to be, right? And people limit themselves constantly, way beyond identity, right? Way beyond identity. What they're capable of, their jobs, their dreams, I mean, across the board, right? And so if people don't entirely know who they are and aren't like actively doing the work. You have to put in the work. There's a lot of people that just don't, like can't even conceptualize what the work is, right? There's no time for it. Look, if you're living paycheck to paycheck and you're supporting your family, like that's your lane, right? Like there's not much room to like, oh, this is who I am today. These are what my dreams are. Like the world is set up in a way that you can really only be one thing for the majority of people. And, you know, I don't blame necessarily the homophobic parent that can't accept. In so many ways, it is what that person was taught for generations, right? I mean, this ancestral lineage of trauma that exists in each and every one of us, at some point that gets broken. And I think that's what you and I are doing in a lot of ways with our lives. My dad's first acknowledgement or something of that, of two men together, was violent. My dad was born in a third world country. My dad used to always run out in the streets. My grandma was raising two kids on their own. My grandfather, unfortunately, struggled with addiction, wasn't there, 37 years older than my grandmother. My grandmother would come home at the end of the day, couldn't find my dad. She would beat the shit out of him so he wouldn't go out in the streets. Why didn't she want him to go out in the streets? Because at that time, Muslims and Turks were kidnapping Armenian boys and raping them. So if you look at the seeds that were planted in my dad's head, two men together, violent, aggressive, I get it. But my dad voted for gay marriage because he said, I love my sons. I don't agree with that, but because you can have both, you can have both and you can choose to stay on one lane, you can stay in the far left lane. Stay in the far left lane is go as fast as you want. Yeah. But look at everybody passing you because there's dialogue, there's expression, there's, there's conversation. And if you don't want to have a conversation, then at the end of your life, it's going to be one lane. But the world is open and vast. Yeah, but I don't think the majority of people are tapped into the vastness of the world. Yeah. I think the majority of people stay in their lane and don't even realize that these conversations are happening. You know, like if you look at just how insular any single social media platform has become over the last few years, like you're only seeing what you want to see. You're only seeing what you, you know, are supposed to see given what you are looking at. Every single narrative is constantly fed. And there are so many, right? There are so many different points of view. But if if you don't care enough to go look at the world from the other side, you will never see it. You just won't. 
the thing that chafes my ass because I've spent years on TV shows, yeah. middle America. I've spent years on TV shows. Knock on wood, I love my job. I love what I do. It's never a job if you love your work. And I remember when I first publicly came out and said, my name's Lawrence Zarian and I'm gay. It's never about the number, but I lost thousands of followers. Uh, women yeah. came after me. People oh. came after me and said, I, have no, I, I had no idea that you were gay. I can't trust and believe in you. Mm. And I thought, you're going to check out on something I didn't choose. Like this isn't a, like if I would, if I could choose, I love the concept of a man and woman together with kids. I love that. That's not the hand that I was dealt, but you're going to check out because of something I didn't ask for. That to me is such a disservice to your journey and such a disservice to somebody else. Delete. Mm. Yeah. Again, just people constantly limit themselves. And I am way more interested in expansive conversations, expansive identities, freedom beyond anything we know possible, this dimension and beyond, right? This life, this body and beyond that when I say like post-gender, this is kind of what I mean. Like in so many ways, the gender conversation and the sexuality conversation for me from the beginning of having them publicly And I may not have known it at the time, but looking back, of course, it was always a a metaphor for something so much larger. I have always seen the world as macro, right? And then I go in and I pick apart the micro, but there is something so poetic about figuring out who you are and how you fit into the world. And I mean, at the end of the day, gender and sexuality are like one tiny little piece of everything that you are as a person. But I think given the state of the world, given the state of the politics in this country, given the fact that it's still illegal in some countries in the world, given the fact what specifically gay men experienced in the 80s and 90s when I was born, right? That like, you know, the fucking plague that existed, the laws around homosexuality and cross-dressing last hundred years in this country, it is still of the times, right? It is very of the zeitgeist of our world. And there's so much hatred around it. And I want to go back to what you said, because you said something so poignantly, you know, there's no people having dialogue and discussing it. We're having dialogue and we're discussing it. Yeah, yeah, totally. And you're also such an expression of, it's your life. Live your life. And again, I use that analogy of, if it's happening in my bedroom, it's not limited to my bedroom. If it's happening in my life and you don't approve of it, right. change the channel. Don't yeah. be in my life. You either see me, love me, celebrate me. Mm. And if you don't, you don't. But I'm going to tell you this. You and I have someone, very mutual. I mean, because you and I literally are twin flames. We have somebody in our lives that uh, mutual friends. She's, God, if I was younger, that's a clue. Molly Bernard. Molly. I love me, my Molly Bernard. And when we met, literally, it was this instant love affair. And I thought, how fascinating. Mm. And I think it's what we were talking about. There's something something so chemically connected between us. Yeah. And it has nothing to do other than there's a chemistry, there's an energy, and we yeah. just click. Well, I mean, she is an infectious being and ever-present. I mean, she shows up and when she looks at you, she gives you all of you. She She's effervescent, you know, and she wasn't always as straightforward as she is today. Yeah, yeah. But that's part of the evolution then. Yeah. I mean, when we first met, I had her on my podcast. I think she was like the second or third episode. And I wrote this poem for her. I used to open each episode of The Love Bomb with 
some spoken word that I wrote for each guest. And her piece was called My Little Shaky Leaf. She was she had this like mm. nervous energy about her that comes from lots of different things. But her evolution in the decade that I've known her at this point, I mean, transformative. Her becoming a mom. Did you meet her after she had the baby? The journey of. One of the first things she said to me after she had the baby and Bethany and her were pregnant at the same time. Molly gave birth like weeks before we did in a lot of ways. Like, you know, we experienced pregnancy together. And one of the first things she said to us was in birth, the intense healing that I have experienced through this process has been like decades of therapy. Like I can't even put words to it. Her and her wife, Hannah, in a lot of ways, like a lot of people tell you that pregnancy's hard, that, you know, you're not going to get sleep when you have the baby. Like it's, it's fucking difficult. And it is right. Like I understand Yeah, they were two people that convinced us that it was joyous, magnificent, healing, transformative. Like it was such a breath of fresh air in a sea of, of folks that tell you it's going to be really hard. And don't you love the fact that, you know, I always say that God moves us like chess pieces. Like you guys worked together for seven years. Yeah. And how amazing that work life then becomes a part of your life. That sometimes, you know, a season, a reason, a lifetime, and how lovely that she is a lifetime. Totally. Yeah. Now it's true. When we do this podcast, it's very clear. We can't talk about a lot of things Mm -hmm. because under the umbrella of SAG after strikes and all of that. But I will say this. I will say this. I used to watch you on a show. Mm-hmm. And as I was watching you, I would always think, gosh, if I was dead, I'd eat you. <laughs> <laughs> you're welcome. I've been sitting on that one for a while. I like it. And in, but you're welcome. I'm here. I, I'll, I'll be here all day. I don't have to go anywhere. <laughs> in regards to that, there was a lot of dialogue around a relationship that you had with another character. For, for someone like you, when you're so public, about who you are. And then there seems to be this backlash. How do you navigate through that? Because you're already so evolved. How do you say to everybody, come on for the ride? Like, how do you create that space of grace for people? And what do you do to help heal that? Mm. I think first and foremost, you let the art speak for itself. I, you know, as an actor, I've been having this conversation a lot lately, and I think I'm okay to say this. But as an actor, you know, we don't have a product until someone else writes a script, we audition, then gives us the job. And when you're on set, specifically in television, you know, like it's it's very mechanical. You have a couple takes, everything's moving really fast, you're constantly beating the clock. And at the end of the day, like your product becomes diluted. Then it like goes to the editing room floor. You have no idea what happens over there. They get to pick and choose whatever they want for the sake of the story. And I, I've had this realization as of late that like, I, I will act for the rest of my life. I love what I do so much. I love transforming into different characters and like being part of other people's dreams. That's really what it is as an actor. Like we are bringing other people's dreams to life. But I am dedicated at this point in my life to creating art that is my own, that I am in control of, and that 
breaks the barrier, so to speak. I've been making music full time for the last year. and I haven't really talked about it, but I have discovered this, this medium that, man, I can't believe it took me 35 years to really dedicate myself to song. The magic that is in sonic composition is beyond anything I've experienced as an actor. It's changed my relationship to time. You have three to five minutes to put an entire idea into a song. And to go back to your question, I'm at this point in my life where I I don't need to explain to anyone who I am, what it is that I'm going through, what I'm experiencing. I'm going to let the art do it for me. You know, I think in a lot of ways, language gets gets in the way, you know, it, you hear what I say through your ears and every single person is doing the same exact thing. But there's something about a song that like is universal. You can do whatever the fuck you want. You can say whatever you want. And for some reason it's digestible. Like people just sign off on it. You know, people can get down with it. I've unlocked this part of myself that like, I'm so excited to share with the world. You obviously are on a journey. You obviously have been living your journey out loud. So as an actor, a musician, a writer, a producer, Mm. your core, a daddy, you are all about expressing. And with your music, how would you describe it? And what are you trying to express? Mm -hmm. Well, this, this first body of work really centers around birth and becoming a parent and rebirth. And there's, there's a homecoming of sorts. I am lifting the veil on one of my processes, you know, and that it's accessible for everyone. We are all on a journey. Every single one of us, whether like anyone wants to admit it or not, like every single day is a fucking journey. We all go to bed and leave our bodies and go explore some other place pretty much every single night. Like we can't wrap our heads around it. And some people get stuck. Most people. A majority of people, you know, I learned very early on in my sobriety, who would you be without your story? Yeah. And I'm like, what? <laughs> and they're like, no, it already happened. Like you can't, you can't, like it's already happened. And I'm like, I know, but that's, that's what propels me. And then once you realize that you put the story down, you know, that's just one of my chapters. And now through life, I get to evolve and write a different chapter at any time. And what I like about, you know, I always use words to define my years. One, a couple of years ago, my word was breathe. Yeah. This, that's my word for the year. Last year, my word was seeker. Mm. this year, my word is boundary. Mm-hmm. And it's hard to set up boundaries. I most recently said, I can't be here anymore. Like the way you see me, how you see me, it's not me. And I can't keep trying to, I think we get stuck because we want to convince the rest of the world to see us in a way that suits us. Mm. You meet people where they're at, they'll show up. You then get to look at it, navigate it, understand and be like, oh, you know what? It is frequency. We either align or we don't. And like Nico, I've been interviewing people for my entire career. There are times that it works and it resonates like this. And there are other times that it's just not the right fit. And you're like, okay, I'm going to chug along with that, but it doesn't have the right frequency. But it sort of goes back to your first book, which is space between. Here's birth. Here's the end of life. And what all happens in between that space. And every different adventure is a new chapter. Space Between is my second book. I will throw that in. Okay. No, I love that. Well, look, look, hey, I I love to be schooled. And your first book is, Daddy? First book is called All of It Is You. And what was the first book on? First book was poetry. If 
space between sets up two ends of a metaphorical spectrum. All of it is you is the full 360. So let me ask you this, as I got you correctly on your podcast, you wrote a poem for Molly. Yeah. If you were going to write a poem for me quickly Mm -hmm. off of our experience thus far, Mm. what comes to mind? I see you. I see the station that you are on. The frequency that you are riding is one that I'm quite familiar with. I respect the shit out of it. You know, you're doing a really brave thing having these conversations with the world. In a lot of ways, it feels like what I love about a podcast and this medium, if you're doing it right, you forget there's a microphone, you get you forget other people are listening. And it allows the audience to feel like they are a fly on the wall in a conversation. Right. But when you go back, do you go back and listen to everything? You know what? I'll say this. In regards to my work on television and in regards to me listening to things, right? I can be one that won't watch my work. Yeah. Because I know if I keep working, that means I'm doing it right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Every Saturday, I go to this place called Remedy Place up on Sunset, and mm-hmm. it's I call it my healing day. Yeah. And I will sit in the sauna, yeah. and they give us an iPad, and I will listen completely buck naked, sitting in a sauna by myself, open, raw, vulnerable. I will listen to the podcast. Yeah. I need to step away from it for a little bit because it's very yeah. fresh. Do you listen to it once somebody else cuts it, or do you listen to the raw audio? The only thing that's ever cut is if yeah. a celebrity says, please take that out. Please take that out. And then yeah. the only ever thing that is ever cut is if there's a sound effect or something, you know, something happens. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. Will does not take out, or I can get long-winded on something and he's like, hey, I love you. That means- I totally get it. So we take a little bit of the fat out, but one of the things that I love the most is I love a pause. Yeah. I love when somebody is mindful with their words, but I will go back and listen. Yeah. And look, you're healing me. Like, you're like, I, I, I- I've lived in a box my entire life. I, I can't do that anymore. Yeah. So then I see someone like you, and to me, we live with our senses. Yeah, You're hot as fuck. I think you're so sexy. And I remember seeing you vividly, and I'm like, okay, I'll eat him. Yeah. I remember vividly seeing you, but then there's another layer, who you are. Then there's another layer, what you put out to the world. Then there's another layer. like You're multifaceted, and there's that fearlessness yeah. and freedom because we have an opportunity to restart our day at any given time. Yeah. That you live very current. Yeah. A lot of people don't live current. So let me ask you this. For a couple that is really struggling right now with infertility, and they just don't know if they can do it anymore. They're at wit's end. They're struggling because you guys struggled for a couple of years. Yeah. What advice would you give them to not stop or to stop or whatever resonates with them? Yeah. My cousin said this to us. She was experiencing something super similar right before we were actively trying. And it stuck. And it fucking sucks until one day it doesn't. Mm. And that day can look like a lot of different things. There isn't one version of that day that is the pinnacle, right? It's a roller coaster. It's a marathon and, you know, there are like lists of things that you can do all over the internet, but more so than anything, remember that there are two people and a third spirit that is waiting to join. There are two people that are experiencing this in their own ways entirely at the same time. 
And if you are not showing up for each other throughout this process, like there is a blockage. There is something getting in the way that's not necessarily allowing you to get over the line. I'm not saying that's the only, you know, that's the only thing, but support each other in ways that you never even knew were possible. I think that's sort of true in life. Just show up. Totally, totally. And I, you know, I've been very candid. I've I struggle with post-COVID symptoms, and I've yeah. said to my friends, "I'm in a dark place. I, yeah. I have a I have this level of depression that I've never had." And I'm asking you, please call me and check on me. I I have yeah. no I have no problem. I don't have any sort of want or need or desire to be foolish. Yeah. But I just want people to know that I'm saying, "Hey, you know what? I need a little help. Will you please show up for me?" Yeah. I have no problem with that. That's awesome. Most people could never even, you know, consider that that's an option. Most don't think about themselves in that way. They just like immediately get in their own way. That's awesome. My sweet friend, Holly Packfar, her and her husband, Evan, just had twins. And since I'm a twin, they're, they call and ask for advice and I yeah, offer yeah, yeah. advice. Whether they want to hear from Uncle Lawrence or not, they get it. Can I ask you a twin question? Have you guys ever dated the same the same person? Yeah, we actually did. You did? Yeah, we did. We have the exact same taste. We did up until we didn't. And this guy was, I mean, he just checked all the boxes. Yeah. And unbeknownst to me, Tony liked Gregory a lot more. Mm. But I mean, like he would see me on Wednesday and Friday, but he'd see Gregory Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday. At the same Sunday. time? No. Yeah, we were very young, but we've always had the same taste. And you know, it's my story. I always felt that Gregory was better looking. I thought he was more charming. I always felt like the outsider. Mm. And so I disappeared, which like I have absolutely no game. I have no game. What are you talking about? You've been crushing it on this podcast. <laughs> well, sweetheart, sweetheart, look at you. Like I, like I, like I have, I have game with you. If you can have game with me, I'm convinced you can have game with fucking anybody. Oh. Stop limiting yourself. <laughs> okay. So if you were single and I asked you out, You'd say yes? Yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's oh, called the score. <laughs> yeah. You and Bethany have to really entertain a thruple. I'm just yeah, telling yeah, you yeah. right we'll now. We'll talk about it later. We'll <laughs> talk about that later. So let me ask you another question. You have lived a life seeking, finding, living in your truth. For somebody not knowing if they're gay, straight, not knowing any of that, and there's a fear of being accepted and being loved. Grab somebody's hand right now. What advice would you give to somebody struggling on their own identity? Make art, create. It can be anything. It's not for anybody else. I think the ability to create out of thin air cracks open pieces of yourself. I mean, to me, art is, is the portal between this dimension and anything else that exists. If you are having a hard time verbalizing or even understanding who you are and how you fit into the world, this goes back to what I was saying earlier. Let the art speak for itself. And it's not, you know, I mean, it could be a paintbrush, a pen on a piece of paper. It could be coming up with some sort of song. It could be getting up and dancing. Like find a way to speak when your words can't. And speaking of words, yeah. you have a book coming out in 2024 I do. called Olivet is You. Olivet is You, yeah. What is the book about? Olivet is a kid that came to us uh, in our fertility journey. I've always imagined uh, a version of you know this life mantra, for lack of a better word, that 
I have been exploring through my work condensed to a kid's version. How can I bring this idea to younger audiences? And Olivet is the entirety of the universe, which I believe all of us are, let's be honest. But Olivet is this kid that represents everything that ever was, everything that ever is, and everything that is ever going to be. And what does it mean to raise a child with that level of unconditional freedom? The saying from back in the day, like, you can be anything you want to be when you grow up, right? Like, fuck that. You already are everything that ever was. You already are everything you could ever imagine. Go do something with it. What does that look like? Hmm. Last question. Yeah. And then I promise we're done. You're good. The podcast is called You Are Beautiful with Lauren Zarian. And the whole concept of this podcast wasn't to talk about people's movie, wasn't it to talk about the history of their career. It is multi-layered. And this is a perfect example of, I get to see who you are, Nico. So do me a favor, answer this question for me. I, Nico, Totorella, am beautiful because? I, Nico Totorella, am beautiful because I am. I love that. (laughs) That's so good. Wow. That's so good. Okay. I'm stealing that because I just am. I love that. Now you have to ask me the same thing. Ask me that question. Go. Tell me why you're beautiful. I, Lawrence Zarian Tortorella, am beautiful (laughs) because I have a boyfriend. Hey! (laughs) Because I am. (laughs) Because I am, and I have a boyfriend. Look, Nico, it's always a surprise for me when when I, this is the whole reason that I get to do this. Yeah, I'll never do it in person because I love just looking into your eyes, seeing it's your soul, dream. seeing who you are. Yeah, I love this for this reason. And you also helped me heal some of the struggles that I'm going through. And mm. you just showed up. And Kilmer is so lucky to mm. have you as a dad because you're going to teach your child how to just live fearlessly. I- mm. I'm so honored to have done this with you, and I do look forward to the day our paths cross. And yeah. if you and Bethany are like, hey, we'd like a throuple, <laughs> I'm your guy. I'm your guy. I appreciate it. I appreciate the work you're doing in the world. It is important. I miss the seat that you are in from having this conversation. Good on you. I am. I am. From the bottom of my heart, thank you. Thank you. Now that was a beautiful ride. And speaking of beautiful, I want to thank Dr. Stacy J. Stevenson for going on this ride with us. When it comes to feeling good, it all starts from the inside out, and it's time for everyone to get their glow on. Now, go out and have a beautiful day. Ready, set, glow. Glow.